All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Let's declare the word of understanding as we begin to study, as we usually do. One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, and I've been filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His Word. His Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In this name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. As usual, I prophesy to you again. Understanding is your portion in Jesus' name. Amen. God will give you your own word. Amen. We are going to preach a word for everybody, but each person has his or our own word. You will receive your own portion in the name of Jesus. Amen. God will speak to your current situation. You will receive the instruction to obey him better. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. Please take your seats. Greet somebody on your left and your right. Tell the person, wisdom, heavenly wisdom is your portion. You are wise in the name of Jesus Christ. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right, the culture of faith, number 16. Let's open our Bibles. Today we'll go to the book of um, Matthew chapter 5. Last time we read the account from Luke because we wanted to just get a quick panoramic view of it. But I remember saying that I will look at Matthew because that one is more detailed. And I encourage everybody to read um, what Matthew recorded. is in about um, three long chapters. Chapter 5 chapter 6, and chapter 7. If you see it, if you have a colored Bible, you will see those chapters are all in red because it's the words of the Lord Jesus from the beginning to the end. I'm not going to read everything. It's pretty long. Like I said, it's quite long. But we are going to just take a portion again. Let me see where we are going to stop. All right, let's read from verse 1 and to verse 16. And then we'll scan it here and there till the end. I just want to bring out some important things. Let's see how far we can go today. Um, I have a central theme in my mind. Let's read. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Remember, this is a message for disciples, not for everybody. You cannot teach this to unbelievers. You'll be making mockery of yourself. This is not the way the world is supposed to live. This is the way Jesus' disciples are supposed to live. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. He said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed, now let me slow down here, I need this. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, please notice this, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, 
But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure. What do they rather do? They put it on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's continue reading. Verse 17. Do not think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Please, I need to explain something about that in a moment. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. I need to read that again. For unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he now began, I'm not going to read beyond here for now, but if you see from verse 21, he began to take some of these laws and he began to explain them. Now, you know, I, I took a break uh, briefly in uh, verse 17. I said, I will come back and explain it. He said, do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. You can look up from reading from a moment, for a moment. When somebody says that, it is always because he's trying to clarify the fact that he, had, he was giving that impression. Do you understand my point? He said it only because it appeared as if that's what he was doing. People were getting that impression because he was doing things differently from the way the Pharisees had taught the law. So he had to explain to them that that's not what I am doing. And he emphasized it, that the smallest jot or stroke letter of the law cannot pass away until all is accomplished. But what was he trying to explain to them? That there is something about the law that people did not understand. That is what I have come to address. There is something about the law that most people couldn't relate with. They read the laws, they read the letters. You understand my point? But the law has always been about the spirit of the law, never about the letter. So what I have come to do I've come to give the understanding of the spirit of the law to people. And that's why sometimes it will appear to be doing things differently from how the uh, Pharisees or the, or the general nation of Israel was doing them. For example, the law of Sabbath, you understand? They interpreted the law of Sabbath to an extreme that Jesus said, you are missing the spirit of that law. The law was given to give us rest. Then on the Sabbath day, I cannot give somebody rest from her labor. A woman who had been bent over for all these years, who Satan had held in bondage, now I can't give her rest because you say I am working on the Sabbath. I don't know whether you are getting my point. That what was the purpose of the Sabbath? Was it not to give people rest? This woman needs rest. As soon as she can get it, we'll give it to her. Do you get my point? So they say, look, I have not come to abolish the law. Okay, I have come to fulfill it. By healing that woman on the Sabbath day, I am fulfilling the principle of Sabbath, which is to give rest to people. Are you getting my point here? So that's what Jesus was trying to explain. So he will take a few things here and there to explain to them I'll give an example. He will also tell them, and it's also there, you'll find it later on. When they told him, he said, Can we divorce our, um, that's in verse 31, thereabout. He began to issue, address the issue of divorce. There were laws. Listen, the law was given by God through Moses to the people. And he said to them, This is how you handle the matter of divorce. If you, the man, and his, he has a problem with his wife, he will give her a certificate of divorce and all of that. They were keeping that law, you understand? But he said, 
in the beginning it was not so. Are you getting my point? That is, this is the spirit of it. If you want to understand the spirit of the law, all right, you will find out that you cannot keep it according to the letter that Moses has given you. He was not trying to counteract Moses now, but he was saying that every law has a spirit. Just by the way, let's digress again. Master of digression, that's what I am, and I like it. When people come arguing on the matter of tithing, let me just educate you so that you will be firm when you are talking to people. What Christians try to preach this day, which is very popular in Christianity, is nothing but the letter of the law. It's pure letter of the law. Anytime you get a, 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 give you a new Bible, you calculate the cost of it, calculate 10%, and go and redeem your Bible. That is nonsense. Are you getting my point here? One of our brothers said that he was a working accountant. If you gave him lift, he was supposed to go to school, he was a student. He was supposed to I mean, transport himself from GRA where his parents' house, all right, is uh, go to UNEC. If somebody now stops and says, ah, oh boy, you are going to school, enter, he will check. What is the cost of transportation from here to school? Uh, okay, it's 100 naira. So I'm owing God 10 naira. He will write it down. He told me that until he met me, he was a working accountant. Calculated everything. You see, the law had become for him bondage, okay? But like if, you, if you read my book, uh, um, Grace to Prosper, and the last portion, and if you also read um, uh, the new edition of um, How to Work for God, and so who will pay for this, I explained it. There is a spirit behind it. And Paul said, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. What is the desire of the flesh? The desire of the flesh is against the spirit of God. Now, what that means is this. Paul was not saying, walk by my, um, I prayed, my spirit said I should go to the left. That one, your desire is what is talking to you, not your spirit. Don't come and deceive us here. Are you getting my point? Uh, more Christians want to come and deceive us that, uh, but I also walk in the spirit. So before I do anything, I pray, and my spirit begins to talk to me, and my spirit speaking to me, my spirit, my spirit, and my spirit, my spirit. That's not what Paul was talking about. Paul said, every law has a spirit. The flesh wants to disobey the law. Now, let's get that. The, let's take that Titan thing as an example. The flesh wants to earn a millionaire buy everything for himself, for him, himself, and him. Are you getting my point? A man wants to eat all his money by himself. That is what the flesh wants to do. Then the law says, no, you will take a portion of it. We're not going to details now and give to this person. You will take a portion of it and give to this person. Paul said, what is the principle behind that law? The principle in summary is generosity and faith. That's the principle. They call it the spirit of the law. That's why I wrote in the book. They say, who is the New Testament tither? I said, Jesus said he's a cheerful giver. He said, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul wrote it like this when he was writing the book of Acts chapter 20. He said, you've heard what we told you about Jesus, that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. The spirit of the tithe is being cheerful in giving. It is not mathematical calculation of 10% because God did not even command Israel to give 10%. If you go and look at it very well, it was more than 10%. Jeremiah have come up with different calculations. It came to about 20 something on the average. And that the principle we say we teach that you see your tithe belongs to your local church is modern Christian tradition. It's a good tradition. I'm not saying it is bad. Otherwise, pastors will go broke. Church roof will not be repaired. No, you will not be to pay the bill. But it is tradition. It's not the word of God. Get that one very clear. I have no apologies about it because I'm telling you the truth. It's nowhere written in the Bible. The only place you found the church, the New Testament, did you see them practice it? No. You say, what about the storehouse? Storehouse, read the Bible very well. Storehouse is where the poor the hungry, the needy went to, it was a welfare system. It was a welfare house. The storehouse was a charity center. 
Are, are you getting my point? The storehouse or where you went to get food when you didn't have at home. So that principle we teach that, uh, you see, a storehouse is where you get from. That where, where's your store? Your store is, your, is near your kitchen. What do you keep the resources? So where you are fed from is your storehouse. It's a lie. You know, let's be careful when we are doing common sense interpretation of scriptures. Let's use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Are you getting my point? In the Bible, those who kept in the storehouse, it was because they did not need to take from it. And those who took from the storehouse was because they did not have enough to put in there. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So the Bible storehouse is where those who had plenty kept and those who had not collected from. So it is not that where I eat from is my storehouse. No. Where the poor eat from is the storehouse. Where the priests collect from is the storehouse. Where the stranger collects from is the storehouse. Are you getting my point here? So the principle behind the storehouse of the Bible, when Malachi was talking about it, was there should be no reason. Let's take a church as an example. Why we won't have enough resources for everybody to eat. Are you getting my point? We should have enough. That is, God has done it that there will be people who have excess. That's the meaning of the storehouse there. But this is the principle, like I said, behind the ties. There's the spirit of it. The spirit of it is all-round generosity. It is not a calculation principle. So if you find somebody like Jesus talking about it, you will find him not emphasizing things like that, but emphasizing to the disciples, which Paul quoted for us later. He said, God loves what? A cheerful giver. So after I wrote pages and pages and pages and pages in the book on tithing, that's um, on uh, uh, Grace to Prosper, I ended with a simple statement. The New Testament tither is a generous giver. Anybody who says, I've paid God 10% so he will bless me, and then he becomes stingy with the 90% is not a tither. He's a wicked soul. It's not a Bible tither. If you say that I've calculated 10% and I've given it out, God now has the responsibility to defend me while I enjoy my 90%. Like I always say, this is why God sends people to hellfire. Because you are wicked. You now see serious needs. Valid causes that you are supposed to contribute to. You say, because I have paid him off, then you now start having funny questions like, can I give my tithe to somebody? I used to answer those questions. I don't answer them anymore because I think they are lame questions. They are questions that are according to, what's the name of that guy of Tesla? Eh? Elon Musk. Dumb questions are not cool. <laughs> Shouldn't ask me questions that are not cool. Asking me now, can I give my tie to somebody? This is my new answer. That question is meaningless. It's meaningless. Are you getting my point? You know, you're talking about the lame excuse. It's a lame question. It's totally meaningless. It's my birthday. You're supposed to give me a gift. You're my dearly beloved wife. You now say, ah, my husband, the gift I wanted to buy for you, I saw you poor. I gave him money, so no birthday gift for you again. Does that make sense? It's your best friend's wedding. Say, I wanted to contribute 50000 afterwards is your wedding. But as I was coming, I saw a child that needed surgery. So I gave the mother 50000 naira. So there goes your wedding contribution. Can somebody come and say, can I give my son, friend's wedding contribution to somebody in need? You don't ask those questions because it's meaningless. I don't need to say more than that. If you are supposed to support your church, you can't say, can I use the money I want to use to support my church to help the poor? It doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't have any meaning. It just has no meaning. I don't even know how to address it. It doesn't have any meaning. 
Can I use the money I'm supposed to pay for? You use my pay my children's school fees. Can I give it to my landlord? Do you know he has no meaning? I don't know whether you are getting my point. He just is meaningless. If you take the money and give to your landlord, there is no problem. You find another one and give to the school. And if the school you gave first, you go and meet the landlord and say, "Good morning, sir. Sorry, I am broke. Why? The children's school fees came on me suddenly." I didn't know they were going to go to school next time. <laughs> you can tell any story you want to tell. The fact is that you must say to what? The landlord. Such is it also. When people come and try asking me, can I give my tithe to somebody? What do you mean? That the money I wanted to use to support my church. Can I give it to the poor? It has no meaning. But if you are saying that, will I have paid God off by giving 10% to a poor person? Again, it's meaningless. God cannot be paid off. I'm just using all of that to explain the principle here. That when Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, it was because it was appearing like that's what he was doing. So he now explained to them, no, I have come to give you the spirit of the things that the law and the prophets expressed. So he now went ahead and began to give them details. For example, the law could only enforce things that you did. It could not enforce your thoughts. You could not enforce your intentions. That was why then I redefined covetousness for us. Because when we say covet, that shall not covet. The way we look at it is that you shall not have a desire for somebody else's property. Except that the law couldn't regulate my desire. It could only regulate my actions. Do you understand that? So I explained that to steal is to illegally take. To covet is to illegally collect. Are you getting my point? To scheme so as to, within the, you know, the limits of the law, transmit somebody's property into your own, into your own hands. That is what the Bible calls. But there had to be an act. It had to be something you did for the laws of Moses to address them. But Jesus now said that was not the intention of God. God's intention was that we will address the deeds of your heart. So he said, that shall not commit adultery. <laughs> Jesus said, by the time you are trying to control the act, you've already done it already. Do you understand my point? So, well, what are we addressing? He said, if you look lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. And God looks at the heart while man looks outside. Moses had to look outside. Do you get the principle? Yes, there is a man. He can only judge what you see. What the eyes could see. So he went ahead and told us many things. We're not looking at all of them one by one now, alright? But just to explain that particular line, statement that the Lord Jesus made. But where I'm going today, alright, is where he said two things I want to read. One, he said, except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. Which verse is that? Hmm? Yes. Verse 20. For unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. That is the first statement. And that's the thing I want to bring, I want us to look at. Let's jump, you know, we stopped reading in verse um, 20. I want us to read a few more verses. And I'm looking for the one, oh yes, good. Verse 27. You have heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And now, Verse 29, and if your right eye makes you stumble, 
tear it out. Now, this is my message today. I'm getting into it now. Everything I've done so far is still part of a reviewing. Tear it out and throw it from you. You say to the eye, this eye, you will not kill me. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, there's a reason why it's choosing right. Cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, please, I want to bring out that statement. Jump again. Verse 48, after saying many things. Now, remember along the line, he said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I said to you, don't resist the fellow who is evil. If he took your eye and you are my disciple, let him go away with it. He said, if he wants your shirt, let him have your coat also. Verse 40, if he forces you to go one mile, go with him too. There's a reason why I'm reading all of this. He now said in verse 48, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Then he went ahead and began to teach other things in chapter 6 and 7. But these ones I've read are the things I want to use to explain the, some principles about discipleship to us today. Now, what do I want to bring out? First, let me explain another thing. Although I've done this explanation before, but let's just go over it again. Jesus said, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away. If your mobile phone makes you stumble, throw it away. Are you getting my point? Your smartphone makes you stumble. If it's your computer, throw it away. Now you see why I'm going, why I'm saying all of those things. The job you are doing, if it makes you stumble, resign. Last time I talked about poverty. And I'm continuing from that point today. That when he says, blessed are the poor, there's a reason he said that. He was saying that he meant it as in material poverty. When he said poor in spirit, what he meant is that the poverty is coming out of a spiritual principle. It doesn't mean you are poor in your spirit. That has no meaning, you know? Sometimes Christians, they don't want to get rid. They want to throw everything, you know? They tell you that there's this doctrine. That doctrine started when I was in school, and even before then, maybe. But at least I heard it over 20 years ago. In fact, I heard it about 30 years ago, really. Because I left university 27 years ago, all right? And by that time, I'd known that doctrine for at least two years. So, it's been fine for a long time. That's the doctrine that you hear sometimes. That when a Christian, a Christian cannot sin because he's a spirit man. Anything he does in the body, it's just the body that is sinning. The spirit man is pure. The spirit man is perfect. The spirit man has been redeemed. The spirit man is like Christ. He cannot sin. So Christians started doing all kinds of mad things, including stealing, <laughs> committing adultery and fornication. And if you challenge them, they will tell you, it's my hand, not my spirit. So it doesn't count. It's my mouth that ate your food and swallowed it into my physical stomach. My spirit is pure. I'm serious. So if you are hearing it today, it's nothing new. So sometimes we want to just throw everything to the spirit so that the physical has no meaning. But the Lord Jesus doesn't give that impression. What he's saying, when he uses the word spirit, is to let you know the depth of where the thing is coming from. Are you getting my point? But what you do outside is a manifestation of what is going on in the spirit. So last time I explained that you can become physically poor 
and you are blessed if it is a consequence of adherence to righteousness. Do you get my point? It's not a result of laziness. It's not because you sin so much, even God is enjoying punishing you for your sins. Do you get my point? It is because you stood for righteousness. Those days, people, when the church began to grow, literally, like Peter said, you endured the seizure of your goods. They seized your goods because you were Christian. And listen to me. In the world of today, while you watch hmm, in your lifetime, you will see Christians in Europe, I will have said, and United States, except that God showed United States mercy and made sure that Hillary Clinton was not elected, rather Donald Trump. With all his funny way of doing things, the craziness that the man demonstrates sometimes as a president. Honestly, I felt I feel like going to America and demonstrating that no more Twitter, no more Twitter. <laughs> if you can just take Twitter away from that man, he will be a good president. They should beg him. I'm sure he's not listening. His children must have begged and said, Daddy, please now. I'm sure Twitter is enjoying the man because they've they become more you know, popular since he came into power. He has made Twitter the official communication method for the most powerful man on the earth. Which, which means that if he wakes up during a bad dream, he tweets it. Now, with all these funny ways of behaving, that's why I didn't include the United States in the statement I was about to make. Okay? But listen to me. You will watch it happen in your lifetime. Countries like Europe, your people's goods will be seized. Their accounts will be locked down because they are believers. You will see it happen. It began to happen under Barack Obama. And it will have gotten worse under Hillary Clinton. Except that God decided to show the people mercy. Because listen, there is nobody that God will not punish if he continues in iniquity. Do you understand? There is no land he will not judge if they continue in iniquity. They were getting there. It will start little by little. But it became a little, you know, things like, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in homosexual marriages. You become a target. And they come to you and say, make cake for us. He said, oh, beautiful. All right, I'll be charging you $600 for the cake. It's all right. Uh, how would you like it? I'll place um, it for me and my wife, of course. <laughs> so what would you, what's your name? What would you like to write on it? My name is Adam. My wife is Steve. I would like the images on it to be one man and another man. And you're going to look and say, oh, excuse me, sir. Uh, thank you very much for the business. But according to my faith, I can't do that. He knew you were not going to do it. If I didn't want to marry he just came to tempt you. Takes a record of everything and then he files the case in court. And then under Barack Obama, you saw it happen. The courts also check the mood of the nation. And the courts began to rule. And this particular, a number of them, but the particular one in the U.S., courts said, make the cake. They said, we will not. They finally won the case at appeal under Donald Trump's reign. And listen, their business was going to be shut down. A huge fine was going to be on them that would shut their business down. And listen, for many of us who live in Nigeria, we don't understand what that means when you, call about, when you talk about persecution. Before, because if they shut your business down, you go home, right? And just be at home, be praying. In the United States, they shut your business down. Two months later, you are out of a home. Because most likely, you have not finished paying for that house. If I buy a house in Nigeria, you know what it means. Yeah. But when somebody bought a house there, he had just downpaid between ten and fifteen, uh, between ten, five and ten percent of the cost of the house. 
you now start paying rent to the mortgage company. So it could be for the next five years, ten years. So if they shut your business down, in two, three months, you are out of a house. And it's arranged, it's orchestrated. They target you, they check the kind of person you are. Knowing that, look, this guy, his children are going to school. He has a mortgage. Oh, I forgot to mention, your car too is going. They will collect your car, collect your house, collect your phone. You can literally become homeless because you said, I don't believe that a man can marry a man. And listen to me, under Barack Obama, it began to happen. What we call court registrar. That is, what do you call it? No, not registrar. People who wait people in, in registry. Anyway, the registrar, not court now. Okay, yeah, the registrar. In the, no, in the registry. One in Texas said, if you're a man, you come here, you want to marry a man, you won't get a license from me. And if you're a woman, you want to marry a woman, not here. Of course, they like trouble. They went, there are other places to wed. They, and the woman said, I'm sorry. He says, sack her now. They can't sack her. She's an elected official. You can only impeach an elected official. Or you do a recall. Difficult process. So the woman said, nobody here is marrying like a madman. You guess what happened? They said she was in contempt of court. So she took her and put her in prison. And she said, in prison, I will stay. I am not signing. And her husband came out and said, my wife is enjoying prison. She's not signing. Oh, yes. Everybody said, we are not signing. We will stay in jail. Listen to me. When Donald Trump became president, it was divine intervention. Because since he stepped into office, the whole thing stopped. Everything came to end. Oh, God. I don't want to talk too much politics. He said, why did did this stop? Because if you take those things to court, if it gets to the Supreme Court and you lose, it's become a law. So they are deliberately keeping it down until they will have the Supreme Court to use again. And right now, it's out of their hands. That's why I said Donald Trump is mercy of God. You know the interesting part? Many of us don't know. We know American story. Do you know why? America is the big boy. Everything is in the news. What we don't know is that Canada is too worse as a nation when it comes to morality. As at over 20 years ago, they had the law against what they call gay bashing. You couldn't preach against homosexuality on the church pulpit as of 20 years ago. But nobody knows about it. There was one judgment I read about in their court a few days ago on the same matter. People don't know that. They do pornographic film awards. You know, the, you, 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 have, you have the Oscars. You have the Grammy for music. They have... You hear that, Nick Haley, what is happening? adult film awards and they'll be parading. Yeah, this is the best actor in what? Don't ask me. <laughs> now, I'm talking about poverty now for righteousness sake. Do you know the laws of those countries have been engineered in such a manner that you can be impoverished for standing for righteousness? As of today. And I'm saying to you that in your lifetime you will see it happen. Unless God's judgment comes rapidly. You will see it happen that for just claiming to be a believer on the form, your bank account will be locked. Now, it is going to happen while you watch. It, listen, it will not start by saying, okay, if you say you're a Christian, come out here, we're going to shoot you. No, it starts like you are seeing it already. A man was sued in the UK for showing Bible on the screen 
in his restaurant. You see what I'm saying? Bible just scrolls on the screen there. Somebody says it's offending him. Why is he offending him? A number of things. One of them is that when he gets the book of Romans chapter 1, a man was arrested on the streets of London for reading Romans chapter 1 in public. For standing on the streets of London and reading Romans chapter 1, he was handcuffed and taken to police station. Why? Because Romans chapter 1 talks about ungodliness and homosexuality. And the man's defense is that I have a right to read my Bible. And none of them will touch a Muslim who reads a Quran in public. All this noise about gay bashing, no gay this, no gay that. Have you ever heard them sue an imam? It's churches they sue. And it's even churches that, you know, churches, I like what the person said that when you can't stand for righteousness, the world will despise you. And it's in the scriptures. Jesus said that if your salt is no longer pure, you are no longer worth anything than to be thrown on the streets and be trampled underfoot by men. You have never heard Muslims this debate whether she should ordain homosexual imams. And guess what? They have more homosexuals than Christians. But they don't debate it. And I said, is that no hypocrisy? God said, I prefer that kind of hypocrisy. And what I'm saying is Bible. God says, you see, there's what he calls blushing. If you do what is wrong, all right, it's evil. What God wants is, do what is right, show that you are doing what is right. Then the worst is, as far as God is concerned, the worst is, do what is wrong and brag about it. In between are those who do what is wrong and cover it. God calls it blushing. At least they have some sense of shame. It's a worst judgment. You'll be surprised. God says, what? He said, listen, these people, they sin. They can't even blush. They can't even hide. What I'm telling you is a matter of fact. But the church is one to be debating whether we should have homosexual bishops. That's in, 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 of course, all over Europe, they have them now. And England. Reverend Akinla, that time, this is the prelate of the, the head of Nigerian Anglican Communion. Primate, have you? Yes. Derek Prince said, thank God for the African bishops. Because the African bishops arrived and told, Akinla told them that if you need demons cast out of you, let me know. I will cast out the demons. And one Anglican bishop there left the place, removed his collar, and threw it into the Thames and renounced his faith in God. I watched him being interviewed on Hard Talk on BBC. Why? He said he saw that the bishops were insensitive. It didn't matter to him what God said. And he was a bishop. That's why the Muslims are going to take over the whole place. What am I saying of this? I'm trying to explain the principle to you here. So when you talk about people becoming poor for righteousness' sake, it's not a joke. When you talk about persecution for righteousness' sake, it's not a joke. These are things you will see in your lifetime. And what makes it more interesting is that where you will see the most is in countries you would have thought they were free or they were Christian. You get to Europe and they will be the ones persecuting Christians. And it will happen, it will come to pass in your lifetime that you will see just for being a Christian, they will lock your bank account. Just for being a Christian, they will sack you from your work. I'm sorry to say this. And then you see my people, that is the very place they want to emigrate to. Why? Sodom is beautiful. 
You know what um, this man said? Lot. He looked towards the place of Sodom and they were well watered like the garden of the Lord. Look, what am I explaining? That discipleship, I'm going somewhere, all right? Jesus said it clearly, because you see, you are the salt of the earth. I'm going to talk about that also. But I have one message in my mind for today. To let us understand the principle here. I'm just emphasizing this one again. It will come to pass that people will become poor for righteousness sake. And listen to me. Oh, you now say, by faith we reject it. You don't have the ability or the capacity or the right to reject some things. Because Jesus taught the church in Smyrna and said that Satan is about to put you to the test. He said, you are going to go into temptation for 10 days. Many of you will go to jail say, for 10 days. He said, now, this is what you are going to do. You will be faithful till the end, even to the point of death. He didn't give them the ability to say, we reject prison by faith was the clear freedom. We don't go and go to prison for nobody. Satan is under our feet. Here we go to jail on our behalf. People of God, that's not going to happen. You are going to... God, please get our, the last edition of Secrets and Truths. Not this one. The one before that. Read the story of Polycap. Why did Jesus give them that story? Uh, that warning? He said, it's just for 10 days. But he said... And you know what he told them? You know what he told all of the, told that church? He said, you have done everything correctly. You think you are poor, but I think you are rich. He told the church that they had no problem. He said, so now, because you are bearing fruit, I need to prune you. Why am I pruning you? You're all, all going to go to jail for 10 days and one or two of you might be killed in the process. So the rest of you just be faithful to the end. I will give you the crown of life. That's true Christianity we're talking about. It gets to that point. There's a particular scripture I read. It said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, please, hold that, and then let's go back to verse 29. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Now, what was he saying there? He said, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Now, let's explain this again. Was Jesus literal about this or not? Let's understand something. I believe, first, people say that when he said he must have meant it literally, well, now, I believe he meant it literally. But not just because he said it. Because he used to speak with hyperboles also. He used to use things to dramatize his point. For example, he would say, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. That shows you that he's a figure of speech. Because how can a human being swallow what? A camel. But he was trying to tell them that you don't, ne you neglect the weightier matters of the law. And then you'll be going after tiny, tiny, tiny things. So the camel was a weightier, that is neglecting the weightier matter of the law. And those small, small things, they don't drink that insect too. He said, get me the filter, the one that has the five nano, nanometer pores. So you remove every organism. Then when you finish removing it, then you carry a camel, <laughs> swallow the camel. Okay, let's be, be more practical. The people will just wash their hands well for everything before they touch anything. Then when they are eating biscuit, it drops on the ground. They collect the rubbish on their shirt and <laughs> I'm gone. carry the biscuit and swallow. They when they want to eat it, but they wash their hands. Jesus, what kind of joker are you? 
But I like people like some of us. I'm not saying I'm like that. It's just okay with that's like that, you know. <laughs> we don't wash anything. We don't wash our hands. We don't wash the fruits. But you know what I don't like about washing fruits is that it delays the enjoyment. <laughs> you buy apple on the road. Where will you wash it? You go rich house. You all bring it. <laughs> Rub it against your shirt and bite it. Don't worry, you don't go die. <laughs> you won't die. I've not seen all those crazy men that eat from dustbin. They don't die. You won't die. <laughs> the Lord is good. Anyway, so the Lord Jesus used to speak in parables like that and use, you know, metaphors and allegories and, you know, hyperboles also. So you find him say things like you swallow a camel when you are straining out tiny insects. So I believe that he could have been using that here. All right? However, it could also have been literal. And last time I was in Sokoto, one of my brothers that came also there, well, we're all there to honor Pastor Courage's invitation. He preached about a minister. He didn't mention names. But he talked about the caliber of the man. But I had one weakness. Maybe because of his background or something. No. <laughs> it wasn't really humanizing like that, but they used to give him extra wise. Solo? He had a, okay, okay, not Solomon. It was a Davidic anointing. He said he would go somewhere far, do massive crusade, miracles, not, 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 not joking. Miraculous things will happen. At the end of the day, they were rewarded with the damn cell. And the Lord looked and said, oh boy, now let me put my own words now. Before I send somebody to hellfire, let's settle this matter. You know the only solution God gave him? He removed both eyes. The Lord blinded him. Now you can't see the women again. True story. The Lord made it clear. Say, oh boy, since you will not manage this other side, I have to manage the other side for you. And the Lord literally blinded him. So he never saw anything or anybody again. Please, I need you. Like Paul said, I'm begging you, be reconciled to God. I'm, I need you to stop believing this doctrine. That God does not harm his people. I love Joseph Prince from the bottom of my heart. But that doctrine is wrong. I need you to stop believing it. My message to you today actually... You know, I, I remembered some things that Paul said. Paul said, let him that thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. Paul said, I deliberately, I put my body under. I dis- Let's read the first Corinthians chapter 9, quickly. My message today is on that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. I want Christians to know that, you see, what God is looking for in our lives hmm, is not material success. Many times we Christians, we like to celebrate material success. We want to follow people that have results. What do we call results? The church is big. He now has 5,000 members. Majority of who are goats, according to Jesus. The church is a mixture of sheep and goats. You cast the net, even, even octopus will enter. You are looking for fish. At the end of the age, angels will sort things out. You don't just count the number of a church and you say the church is doing well because there are plenty. I told you, Rwanda was predominantly Catholic when they were killing themselves. The churches were full. The churches were full. 
Let me not mention names. No be Pentecostal church carry gun and cutlass until police came to shut the church down and then go here. Please, let's not deceive ourselves that churches are full. Doesn't mean anything. There's juju for drawing crowd. Yeah, no, I'm serious. There are people who do charms to pull the crowd. They'll give you soap to have a bath. And human beings, they will tell you, they'll be following you like flies. And many of the people that go around in town, they've... <laughs> don't be impressed with crowds. Don't be impressed. Don't, don't, don't be impressed. What kind of results should we follow? Let me tell you about Jesus. When he preached the deepest revelation of his ministry, church emptied. When he was feeding the multitude, people were following him. The swore went forth to sow. Mm-hmm. Someone fell by the wayside. Hey. The birds of the air came and trampled it down. Yeah. Said that guy, the rhyme. When he's preaching like this, I just see when he says, so I went forth to sow. I saw the way the Jojo Armani soup, just, you know, the curves. <laughs> so all these fine, fine girls from Hollywood will be following him too. I'm serious. But the those who came for spiritual things were looking, so I went forth to sow. John looked at me that. You don't see that so before. <laughs> Peter said, now wow, my son, I don't know what the one is talking about. I can just imagine Thomas is all looking, say, I'm beginning to doubt this guy. <laughs> when he finished, they went to him and said, so, sorry, sir, we mean no, no disrespect, but which one is so? So you know what? He now said, don't worry, don't worry. He said, those people, they didn't come for anything serious, so I was telling them stories to entertain them. He said, you, my disciple, let me not tell you the meaning. The seed is the word of God. <laughs> That's making sense. Peter sat down. They began to explain. Now, when people hear the word, they don't understand it. The enemy comes and picks it away from their heart. John said, uh-huh. Go on, sir. Go on, sir. You know, they began to, did you know, by that time, the crowd had thinned out. Those guys were going home telling story, tell the children, so I went for two. So I went for two. <laughs> when the disciples were learning serious word. They are turning to him. <laughs> but look, the shallower your message, the bigger your congregation. Then one day, Jesus said, I said to eat my flesh and drink my blood. How more? <laughs> Boy said, Now so free food be. <laughs> I mean, let's go, let's go, let's go. Everybody, no, everybody left. You know the story. They so empty. The church became empty. And Jesus looked at Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Judas, the other Judas. There were two Judas in the head, you know? Looked at all of them and said, are you not going to? Peter looked, looked. No more nets, no more boats. <laughs> we left all and followed you. Then he remembered something. You know, there's something about Jesus. And listen, everybody... Never forget this. And this is how you follow ministers. He said, did his words not burn in our hearts as he was speaking to us that day on the road to Emmaus? That was why Peter looked at Jesus that day. He said, to whom shall we go? We have heard you talk. You speak the words of eternal life. We may not understand this one that you have said, but we can't go anywhere. That time church was down to 12. 
If you are counting results, that was the, that, there was no result again. Church had emptied. But what emptied the church? Revelation of truth. Please, don't follow results. Follow truth. Because sometimes truth sends people into hunger. That's what I'm trying to explain. The pursuit of truth, you become shipwrecked. You'll be floating for 48 hours in the deep. That was what happened to Paul. First Peter chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9. Let's read from verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one wins the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it for an imperishable one. Paul now said in verse 26, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I buffet my body and make it my slave. Now that's where I'm going. I discipline my body. Lest possibly, after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. What does it mean to be disqualified? I won't discuss that now. But let's just know that you can be disqualified. And Paul said, even though I've preached to many people, there's a possibility that I may be disqualified. For that reason, I make sure I discipline my body. I treat myself harshly. That's where I'm going. I Now, back to the words of the Lord Jesus. I remove my eye if that is what is going to disqualify me. I remove my right hand if that is what is going to disqualify me. Paul said, hey, I will not think I'm standing because I have won all these people to Christ. I have preached the gospel in places where other people did not preach it. No. He said, no matter what I have achieved, I discipline my body. Jesus said, listen, if your right hand will make me disqualify your right hand will make me disqualify you. Better cut that right hand of why. It's just a temporary thing. It's just why you are alive on this earth. What you have to account to me, it will live for eternity. You cut off your physical right hand, you are not cutting off your spiritual right hand. That's what he was saying. You now say, so Pastor Bank, I was supposed to cut off, our, cut off our right hand. I'm going somewhere, you see. This is what I believe he was saying. First, I've established that I have no problem with accepting that he can cut off right hands. I just don't, I don't think Christians should get a saw by themselves and cut off their right hands. I think you can pray the prayer and tell him. If this right hand is what the problem is, Lord, take it off. You now say, my right hand, I'll tell you what right hand often stands for. It stands for your strength. It stands for that place you get money from. It stands for the connections. You know, one brother told me something once. He said there was a time he was hobnobbing with some big boys. And when I say big boys, politicians and all of that. He mentioned the name of some prominent ones that we all know if I mention the names. He said there are times he will come back home and his wife's jaw will drop open. Why? He will come back home with a bag of money. You know, small bag full of cash. What were you doing for them? He said he used to do simple logistics, you know. They are coming to have a meeting. So they will call him. We'll be in town. You know, also get things ready for us. So he'll get police, get stuff, you know, get things like that. Get them um, hotel rooms. And he will arrange the rooms in such a manner that they will take a whole segment of a floor. 
So the first room is occupied by policemen. The other men will stay in the other rooms, you know. So he just does things like that for them. You know, help them arrange, you know, things and all of that. So he was hanging with big boys and making a lot of money. Like I said, he will get home. His wife will open his bag. It's full of cash. So I asked him something one day. You know, that, that day. And I said, so what happened? Like, you're no longer rolling with them. I mean, <laughs> you're not rich anymore. You get my point? What happened? He said, after a while, he realized that, man, a man can't continue like this. He said, the day he knew that the relationship had to end was after they went out, they now returned to their hotel. So he entered his room. This was like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. He entered his room and found a woman in his room. It's like, excuse me, sorry, this room is taken. What are you doing here? But you can guess what the story is was supposed to be about. As he was doing some logistics, some other people were doing some logistics. <laughs> And so they are logisticized each room appropriately. It's after that day he realized that this business cannot continue. Listen to me. Please forget this faith that's always claiming money. First, you need the power to lay it down before you get the power to take it up again. He had to walk away from, the Bible says you should flee every appearance of evil. So he ran away. I use that to explain right hand. That is, my right hand has to be cut off now. Let me go and hustle for money elsewhere, but not with these men. That's one of the examples of right hand. The other day, there was one sister I know. She was working in the ministry, you know, and all of that. And one day she resigned. Why? She said she got tired of being the one to retire money that was not spent, but was shared. You know what they call retiring money? Okay, for those who know, let's just tell people who don't know. You work in a company, you work in a big organization, they give you cash a lot of times to do things. So let's assume now that, um, okay, it's October 1st celebration, you work um, in government house, they can hand you 10 million to organize. Now at the end of the day, you're supposed to tell them, this is how I spend the money. I paid the, for the hall, we paid 750,000. Catering was 2.5 million. You come with receipts and all of that, just for those who don't know, all right? And then that's what they call to retire the money. That is, you let them know how the money was spent. And if anything is left, you add the cash to the receipts and you pay the cash back. But, of course, she works in a federal government um, place in Abuja. And big money moves, most of it never spent, just simply shared. And she was responsible for retiring the money. So she said she, didn't, she, she got tired of having to quarrel with her boss all the time. So you know what she did? She took a pen took it, put it on paper, resigned the job and left. Why? He said, I beg, enough of lying. Christians, we need to teach ourselves that such things will be done. What we do a lot of time is rationalize it. We explain it. I have come to you today to remind you that Jesus said you are going to walk in a level of righteousness that is impeccable. You are going to walk in a level of righteousness that the Pharisees did not understand. And if you are going to achieve the level of righteousness that I'm telling, telling you about, a lot of things will have to go in your life. And many of them will literally send you into hunger. There are jobs you don't know which other one you will do. But this one has to go. It's an eye. It's a right hand that's making you stumble. There are people, listen, like I said, Jesus said, a disciple, one is fully trained. Becomes like his master. 
Go and listen to our series. I preached it about three years ago here. The Habitation of God. Try and get a hold of that. The Habitation of God and listen to the series. You will understand that there are a lot of things we do. God just look, overlooking them. But he expects on a daily basis we are cleaning them out. He just looks at, overlooks them. Not as if he's happy with them. But he says that he expects that the disciple is being trained. So that each time you cut things off from your life. You know, we crack jokes, you understand my point. We say a lot of things that are funny. But even when we are joking, he doesn't understand that you lie as a joke. It's a joke, but it's a lie. That's how the Lord is. Because let me tell you how powerful God is. I like the way T.D.J. said it. T.D.J. said, God is so powerful that if he were to look at me and say, Banky, you are wearing a white shirt. By the time I look down, I don't know the color. Women, what's the color of what I'm wearing? Because I don't want any man to say anything. You can't see it. So, All of you are... All these colorblind people are talking. Only women see colors. So let's leave that in. So this is a mixture of... What is this one that's bright here? Burnt orange. This one is cooked orange. <laughs> Mixed with dark beige. And uh, like somebody said... I said navy blue. I said this one is army blue. <laughs> so this, this one is army brown. <laughs> now, whatever it is I'm wearing now, if the Lord looked at it and wanted to crack a joke about it, he said, you are wearing a white shirt. Because of the amount of power in his words, this will turn to white. When they ask the cloth, why are you white? He said, the Lord said I'm white. He said, when did he say that? Go and check the Bible. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When he said that he wasn't talking to human beings, he was talking to the whole of creation. That was, why, that was why when he said to the storm, be still, he had to listen. When he said to the tree, no one will eat of your fruit again. He had to die. Why? Because the, 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 the father has said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So my shirt has heard that word. So if Jesus looks and says, your shirt is white, the shirt will listen to him it will become white. He looked at a living, healthy tree and said, no one will eat from your fruit again. Next day they were returning. The tree was dead. Now, you know the truth? That is where he's taking his children to. Let me explain this. He was so powerful that he went to the grave of a man that has been dead for four days. And he told the man, come out. And the man had to come out. Why? The, master, the, the father has said, you must what? Listen to him. I don't care whether you are dead or alive. You listen to him. Do you know? This is what I believe. Even if the father did not give life back to Lazarus, Lazarus' rotting corpse will still have walked out. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Because he said, Lazarus, comfort. Lazarus had to come out. Whether he's alive or dead is his personal problem. I preach in that habitation of God. Do you know that's where God is taking his children to? That's where he's taking his children to. That he'll be so full of his life. That, you know, it happened with Samuel. There was nothing that Samuel said that did not happen. The Bible said God did not allow any of his words to fall to the ground. You see what, what I'm approaching all of these things? So Jesus said, you put things like that in front of you. And then you understand that such things are not attained to with lying lips. That those lips will not even lie to save their lives. Are you getting my point? 
That gets to a point where a man cannot lie even to save his life. Why? Because God can't... The explanation of why I told the lie, God doesn't understand it. It doesn't mean he will be angry and angry and angry, no. But the truth is that no matter the explanation, there is a level of divine presence that cannot be carried. Many years ago, this was almost 30 years ago, I read my Bible. And Solomon said, like a madman casting arrows and firebrands, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? And from that day till today, I can't even play April Fool. That's when I stopped playing April Fool. You know what they call April Fool? He was like, it's just, <clears throat> it's just a joke. But lying lips are an abomination to him. Whether he's joking or not, it's a personal problem. Except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. That was what Jesus told his disciples. So, so when he said now, you know there's something I was trying to explain. That this day we should remove our eyes. Like I said, yes, it can be literal. However, this is what I understand. Jesus was not saying, go remove your eyes. He was saying, this is what he said. If it will take removing your eyes, then do it. Are you getting my point? Now, you know what that means? Hmm. You have so many options before you get to that one. I don't know whether you are getting my point. But if you were willing to accept that the eyes will go, then you will use the other options. The reason why you are not using the other options is because you know the eye will not go anyway. You are not going to remove your eye for anybody. What I mean is this. Do you know if you realize that that office where you work, where they make you tell lies, change papers and all of that, that if they push you to an extreme, you will resign the job. If that is clear to you and to them, you know there are things you even you will not do. Okay. You don't understand what I'm saying, sir. Sir, if you insist on this, I will resign now. And you're not kidding, no. You're not threatening. It's not as if, uh, ah, <laughs> demo, you know what they call demo. No, you really mean it. You have your resignation letter already typed and signed. It's just dates. It's on your, in your top drawer. Nobody knows it is there. You've been looking at this office. Where you guys are going? No, Allah. Do you know, if you know it, okay, let me give you an example. The man I was telling you about, okay? If somebody, like, let me tell you the truth, eh? God help me, oh. I have thought about blindness. And I, and I, no, no. No, no, no. I know. In Jesus' name, no. Let's leave it like that. <laughs> so anything that will be causing me to stumble, that now my blindness will solve it. We will find another way. <laughs> That's what I believe Jesus is saying. That if you realize the, the kind of thing, the kind of drastic measure, all right, now, if you understand what is at stake, that's actually the issue. If you know what is at stake, you'll be willing to take those drastic measures. Like somebody said, a man wants to commit sexual immorality. He said, I can't, I can't help myself. And I used to believe statements like people said, he said it's because you don't realize that they get a HIV positive. The moment they tell you HIV positive, you realize you can't help yourself. <laughs> Suddenly, help will come from above. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. I put the body under. It's because you believe that nothing will happen. God will forgive you. That is why you can't help yourself. If you knew that the consequences were dire. And you know the truth? That's what Christians don't know. That the consequences of the things we are dealing with are dire. That's why Paul said, I deal with my body harshly. That's what Paul was saying. That I 
treat my body hard. That's in this life. Make sure there's nothing you love so much that you don't want them to take away from you. Listen, that's what the Lord Jesus was saying. Now, remember one scripture I said you should, you should keep in mind. He said, blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst after righteousness. What was he saying? There are people that is blessed are those who look and say, ah, you mean that even at the point of death, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did not bow. Uh-uh. That is told Daniel, don't pray only for 30 days. And he went to pray about the decree. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That Daniel, you mean lions den? You don't fear it? So, this is what he says. That there are those who look at that. Blessed are they, those who look at Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and put them in front of their eyes and said, Lord, make me like these people that they will never deny you for any reason. Say, so those people, I will satisfy everything that they need. Now listen to this. They will be tested. Though. I hope you are getting my point. Oh, they will be tested. A time will come, most of us, you will tell a lie to save your life. And you won't go home and say, ah, Lord, you know it was necessary. No, you will go home and lie down and say, God, I couldn't even speak the truth because I was afraid. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Yes, when Leah Shraibu was kidnapped, until now we haven't seen her. I don't know. Is there any news? I've said it. If my wife delivers a girl today, her name is Leah. Some people said that she should have denied Jesus, converted to Islam, gotten her release, and explained to the Lord, and reconverted to Christianity. Let me just say, most of us Christians actually don't believe anything. We deceive ourselves with what we call our faith. We don't believe anything. If we believe, we wouldn't utter that kind of counsel to Leah. We would have looked at Leah and said, my dear girl, whatever you pass through is just temporal. In eternity, you have a crown in heaven. You will have a throne next to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't lose your faith. What if you deny Jesus and they behead her? Did you consider that possibility? Another thing I, I need to explain. Don't think Leah Shaibu is strong. No, she's not. A spirit has possessed her. And that spirit is called the grace of God. Paul said something. He said, don't receive it in vain. <laughs> you know what people like us should be discussing? You will gather your children. And say, have you ever heard of Leah Shaibu? They will say, no. You tell them her story. And say, all of you, stand and pray. And say, Lord, make me like Leah. That's what we should be teaching our children and ourselves. We should stand and say, if you ever are faced with this kind of situation, my children, choose to be like Leah. You may get killed in the process. That is why we believe in Christ. That's why we believe in resurrection. That's why we are going to heaven. <laughs> I hope you are getting my point. He said, put that in front of you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But that is what excites them. I told you, I despise the testimonies of I gave a million, I got 10 million. It irritates my body. If you come and tell me, praise God, that day, as I was giving that 10 million, as I was giving that 5 million, as I was giving that 1 million, it was pain in my body. It was pain in my body. But he that sows in tears shall reap with joy. In the next one week, I reaped a 100 million naira. You can't share that testimony on this pulpit. 
I won't even answer you. What I want to hear as a testimony from your mouth is, that was the last 500,000 naira we had as a family. We had planned for this, planned for this. I wanted to change my wife's wardrobe. And I promised my children I would buy them uh, uh, a new, uh, a, a, a new uh, TV and all of that. But then that need came up. I heard that the airwaves opened in Bono State. And I heard the preacher saying that they needed to rush him. And I looked. I had to tell my children, please, all these things you want to enjoy, they are temporary. Let us use this money for things of eternal value. And we sent the money. Father God, we want to worship you for the opportunity to walk with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You drop the microphone and go and sit down. <laughs> That's the testimony I want to hear. God loves cheerful givers, not cheerful investors. Never forget it. What God loves is what? Cheerful givers. Cheerful givers. People who give because of their love for righteousness, not for the material gain that comes from it. Not for the material gain. Look, let's understand how God does this money thing. God said, when I, ref- when I add more cash to you, it's so that you have more to give next time. It is because I have judged you faithful. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Because I don't give a thousand naira. He said, okay, God, I need a new pair of shoes. How much is the shoe? It's 15,000. So, Lord, I'm going to give a thousand that you give me 15,000 that I'll go and buy the shoe. Because I don't do that kind of magic. If you need a pair of shoes, you know what you do? You ask me for it. Say, Lord, I like that shoe. I saw it. It's very fine. The one I have is torn. Last time was the organizer that patched the hole. <laughs> that is inside it. So I do not wish to continue this organizing shoe business. So what do you want? I want a very good quality one. And the one I've seen is 15000 Give it to me. I ask you in Jesus' name. He doesn't have any problem with that. It is forbidding. Look, I don't care how many people are preaching the opposite. I will tell you the truth. It is forbidding for you to sow towards that pair of shoes. If you sow towards it, eh, a thief will collect it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you need, ask him. Leave it like that. But if I were to give a thousand naira, and God gives me 15,000 as an example, why he gave me 15,000 naira because I gave a thousand is not because he wants me to go and buy the shoes. If that was what happened, no, I gave a thousand, he brought 15,000. No, it's because I've been judged faithful. I've been called a dependable person. Paul said, when God found me faithful, he committed to me a ministry. So God says, okay, this boy gave out 1,000 naira when he didn't even have much. All right. Where did he give the 1,000 naira to? He gave to, okay, as an example, he gave to one boy who was supposed to go to school and travel some distance. So God said, now, you know what we'll do? We'll send him 15 boys next who need to do that same journey. So send him 15,000 naira ahead. That is what it means. When he said, God will multiply your seed for sowing. Are you getting my point? Look, why was Joseph made prime minister in Egypt? He said it to preserve lives. It's not to show that faithfully, no, throwing away from his Spotify peace. If you hold on to God, he to pay. Look at it now. I'm prime minister. <laughs> no. He was made prime minister to save lives. He was made prime minister to preserve the generations of Israel. That's it. Because God, God had told Abraham that your descendants will be slaves in another country. 
then I will bring them out and then they will come back and inherit the land. Why? Because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So that also happened. So he was sent by God. Everything Joseph was doing was divine assignment. It was not reward as in chop life for what he did in the previous times. Please, I hope you are getting what I'm going to explain here. What I'm talking about today is this, this love of righteousness that we remove the eyes and remove the right hand if necessary. But what Jesus was saying is that, why should he get to that point? But understand that what is at stake is so high. Are you getting my point? That if we have to remove the eyes, we will remove the eyes. So, we will use every other method to preserve the eyes. That the thing that the eye is making us to stumble concerning, the other things we'll be able to handle. The other ways we'll handle it so that we will not have to remove the eyes. It's not stumbling that's the problem. So if we stop stumbling, we'll keep the eyes. Sometimes we'll go and look for thick glasses and wait. And we'll be looking ridiculous everywhere we go. What I'm saying to believers today, God expects that for the sake of righteousness, we will make dangerous sacrifices. <laughs> I was okay with it. I just thought about it. What we like to sacrifice for dangerous is all we will get. So somebody, you know, you will do something dangerous today. Then this coming year, you will see what the Lord will do for you. No. That's not, the, that's not divine business. The kind of dangerous things we do is this eye removing thing, the hand cutting thing. That's the kind of thing we do. But what is the purpose of it? So that we will not stumble. Because Paul said that if we do, we may be cast away too. We may be disqualified. We may be removed. If you see at the end of the day, you know what Jesus said? He said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord. Ah, he's at the end though. In chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... That is, if I find that I am not doing the will of the Father who is in heaven, I will do what I need to do to make sure I'm doing the will of the Father. That's what he was saying. I will, I will strain, work hard, punish my body, quit some jobs. You were the one telling me, your daddy, about a young woman who was talking with you on the problem she has with sexual immorality. You know one of the things I said? When you're talking with me, I say, wait. Where does she live? <laughs> she told me, he told me. I said, well, then she has to leave that co- at least. See, you must understand something. I said, you live in New York. Away from Christians. And you're still on the phone telling a pastor, I have a problem with lust. Listen. <laughs> and you're a Nigerian. You will first, like, like, uh, like Baja said, you first say, you know that kind of thing. You know what that means? Okay, I'm going home. No, I'm saying, not what I told you. I said, look, if you are looking for deliverance, you know, many times we are looking for comfortable deliverance. Say, Lord, I like to live with this, my boyfriend, but I don't want to commit sexual immorality, so. (laughs) (laughs) He will deliver me in his sitting room in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) God will just look, you say, Baze Bob, increase the fire. (laughs) I'm sending somebody. No, we, we, we like convenient deliverance. Yeah. We like convenient deliverance. We like the money the job is paying. But all we do every day is lie, facilitate iniquity. Are you getting my point? 
Our consciences have been defiled day by day. They will start looking for stories. You never believed in bribery. But nobody agreed to give you a contract except you put something on top of it. They will not find a scripture. <laughs> like one woman came to preach to my wife one day. What scripture did she use for you people? I don't even know. I was not there. So you will gather together, sponsor a gubernatorial candidate. When he has won election, all the, cont- the juicy contracts will come to the church. Then the church can increase. That is increasing by bowing to Satan. What we like a lot of times is comfortable deliverance. I told you, tell that young woman, you want deliverance? First, get out from where you are. Come home. Join the ch- Truly give your life to Christ. Join the church. Surround yourself with people who love the Lord. It will cost you. That's the point I'm making. That's my emphasis for today. It's a cost of deliverance. That's the emphasis I'm making. It's a cost of deliverance. Listen. Christians are running all over the world now. The reigning people now is Canada. Canada opens the door for anybody that has strength and has more money. You know that? So don't come and give me testimony. Praise God. God has given me Canada. Look, they will give the idiot. Your faith is not the reason why you got it. It's your desire. Live like that. Don't come and harass me. Praise God. They are opening the door to everybody. Most of the time, why are we running there? You know, I want to earn a good living. And they will lie. These children, we have used them to lie. These are our children. Eh? Like they say in Yoruba, like, if their heads answer us. <laughs> That's how Yoruba will say that. If the head answers you. We have used the children to lie. We'll do what we want to do. We say it's because of the children. Nonsense. It's not because of them. We are doing what we want to do. But the point I'm making is this. So we run all over the world looking for comfort. But listen to this. When the Christians ran to United States, you know why they ran there? Those days was to get freedom of worship. Europe would not let them worship God. You're either a Catholic or you were a Lutheran, you know, things like that. There are all kinds of things. Even Martin Luther had people tortured. Oh, many people don't know that. Many of the things he accused the Catholic Church of doing, he did. Many people got tired and said, we need to f- worship God with freedom. That was why they went to America. Guess what? Many died in the process, looking for the freedom to worship. Then we run in the same direction now for looking for what? Freedom to drop life. Many people tell me that, ah, I'm, I'm going abroad. You know, so my children can have a good education. And we ask them, what do you call a good education? You come to class and the teacher is banned from saying God is in heaven. You know, a teacher uses the word God too many times, he gets fired. You call that to me a good education. Like I always say, who is mental, you or me? Because one of the two of us must be crazy. Both of us cannot be normal. What is good about the education? That recently, in England, they banned secondary school children from wearing skirts. Girls, you can't wear skirts anymore. What is their reason? Because some children are gender confused. So let's all wear trousers so that we'll accommodate those who are gender confused. What about those of us who are not gender confused and we like our skirts? Are you, uh, that is good education? You think that is good education? That is good education. Who smoked? You or me? Because somebody must be high on something. Let me tell you the truth. Every day God is allowing you proof whether your faith is genuine or is a joke. Every day, he's allowing you prove whether your faith is genuine or your faith is a joke by the choices you make. 
Every day. Listen, let me end it here. So it's just interesting. We have so many more things to say. Because I need to get back to it once in a while. How disciples tap into the power of grace for the purpose of obedience to the will of God. Nobody obeys God by his own power. Nobody by her strength fulfills the counsel of God. What we do is to tap into grace. But grace is not available unless you understand that it's a desperate situation you are dealing with. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Until you understand that the situation is desperate, you, you, you won't be able to tap into the grace. Before Jesus tapped into the grace that took him to the cross, <laughs> the day I was watching The Passion of the Christ with Joy and my wife, I said to them, as a way, of course, you know, you watched Passion of the Christ with women. You know the way it is. They were dying more than Jesus Christ there. <laughs> when they whip Jesus like this, now then they cry for Jesus. When, meanwhile, Jesus said to them, don't weep for me. Is that what he said? Yeah. I know who he said that to, the women. The guys are not weeping for him. They, they look like, say, okay, they take this kind of nonsense. That's so the guys, they look at him. <laughs> but the women were crying. <laughs> Jesus said, come, 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 come. Don't, don't weep for me. That day, my wife and Joy were weeping for Jesus. And they were weeping like this. <laughs> my wife was shouting, yeah. So I told the two of them, I said, listen, listen, ladies, it was not paining him. He told them, looked at me like, what? You look like you're among those who whipped him, actually. <laughs> on whose side are you? You know that kind of thing? You, on whose side are you? How can you say that? They two of them turned on me. I said, relax. It wasn't paining him. How can you say it was not paining him? I said, it couldn't have been paining him. That as at now, he was moving by the power of grace. As at this point that you guys are watching, he had been possessed by the spirit that went to the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he was, listen, he was occupied with that joy. Are you getting my point? It was set before him. That was what was in front of him. He may feel some temporal pain, but the pain was, is not as emotional as you people are feeling right now. I said, you want to know when he felt the pain? Go to the garden. That's where I'm going. It was in the garden that his heart almost broke and nobody touched him. It was in the garden that the pressure in his soul was so high. His blood vessels began to rupture and blood began to drop from his brows. By the time he was going to the cross, angels had come and strengthened him. What am I going to say? Nobody goes to the cross by his own strength. Nobody does that. But they will not get the grace to go except they understand how dire the situation is. That was why he prayed. Ah! Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It was an agonizing situation. The angels kept the people coming to arrest him back until he kept on going back, until he was ready to say, now let us go. Until that strength comes into you, you can't, you, listen, before the light can't do you a bow, not to talk about <laughs> fiery furnace heated seven times. But if you understand that, listen, listen, if you have the fear of God, you know what Polycarp said? They tried him Polycarp, they will roast him. You know, he looked at the man. He said, you threaten me with fire that burns for just an hour. He said, what about the fire that burns for eternity? That was the reference. I cannot be afraid of your fire that burns for an hour when there is a fire that you and I can face that burns for eternity. That is understood that if I bow before this temporal fire, I stand the risk 
of facing the fire that burns for eternity. For that reason, because of the understanding of how dire the situation is, the man could collect grace from God to stand the persecution. So much was the grace upon Polycarp that they wanted to tie him. He said it's not necessary. He stood without being nailed, without being tied in the center of a fire. To them, yeah, light it, like they say in America, bring it on. He stood like that. They lit the fire. He didn't flinch, did not move. The story after that gets a bit confusing. Some say the fire could not burn. That the fire just burnt around him, couldn't touch him. As if to prove to them that you are not the one killing this man. His Lord is taking him by himself. A few days before, he had dreamt that his pillow caught fire. So he woke up and told everybody, I will be burnt at the stake. What am I saying? There is grace to obey God and live the life of disciples. But today I have just explained. Let's understand that what we are dealing with is serious. We need to carry the presence of God. We need to have our lips cleansed. Do you understand? When Isaiah was going to speak for God, first thing he cried out was, that, Ah, woe is me. I am undone. Why? He said, I'm a man, I'm a man of what? Unclean lips, and I dwell amongst people with unclean lips. Then God took a coal, burning coal, and touched his mouth, touched his tongue, and removed the iniquity therein. That is the work of disciples. Are you getting my point? That their mouth is purged, that their lives are purged so pure that they can speak for God, and God's power can manifest through them. That is what we're having to deal with. Sometimes my wife and I will be talking. You hear the kind of complaint I'll complain. I say, baby, I am angry that certain things are now not happening. And we say we are Christians. We want to tell testimonies. It's always somebody wrote it in a book. I said, the God that did it, is he on leave? Is he on leave? Every time we get small headache, we have a prescription. Do you know that he actually called himself Jehovah your doctor? There are times I hear testimony, maybe I get a complaint, a relative is sick and all of that. When I pray alone, my wife is not aware of that at such times. When I pray alone, my prayer is not just for the person who is sick. It's just that God. You know, Jesus never had the story of anybody who is sick and the person remains sick. Did you, did you hear anyone? They came and told Jesus, somebody is sick and they said, leave him. The only one way he talks, say, leave him. He said, leave him, he die. I won't raise person. And that's what he said. Let him die. Let him die. When he has died, then I will raise him up. Let's pray. Let's give it all thanks. Let us pray. Say, Father, thank you. Plant in me the love of righteousness. Say, Lord, a thirst and hunger for righteousness. That's what I'm asking for. Let's continue to pray and say, Lord, I receive grace in the name of Jesus. That grace to pursue after righteousness. Open your mouth and pray. Sincerely from your heart, this is hard. Well, grace is available. It's not by strength, it's by the grace of God. Just pray and say, Lord, I receive grace. No matter how difficult it is, I will run this race to the end. I receive grace. Receive grace. That is what um, I believe the Holy Spirit.